Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I first met my guest today, I think like just when I was getting out of college. We've been friends and I've, I've admired him really since, since then. Um, Mark Straussman is a great chef, a great restaurateur, and there really aren't that many people who do both of these tasks um, at the level that Mark does and has for so long. And he's been through many iterations. He's a great, great, great cook. He's also really great at front of house and uh, being a figure in, in New York and understanding the way New York works. But it all started with the fact that his cooking blew people's minds really at a point in New York where people, it, it wasn't nearly the kind of frontline topic of conversation that it is now. But Mark, you managed to be. So man, welcome and, and thanks for, for being here and thanks for your, all your thoughtful friendship over the years. Oh, my pleasure. It's excited to be here. It's very exciting. The, uh, man, I, I, I got to start with, um, so, you know, my dad passed away a few months ago and in the, in, for people who don't know, in the, in the Jewish uh, religion, we don't do a wake. What we do is something called a shiva, which is after the person dies and you've buried them, you meet back up at the house of the family. And people sometimes bring food, uh, pastries, things like that, and they visit you. So it's, like a, it's kind of like a, a, a wake, maybe less drinking and more uh, noshing. Uh, but there was this moment, Mark, and I know you know this, where you, you came out, but before you came out to the house, the day before, kind of the first day that we were all gathered, you sent a big care package of your food that you cooked. You cooked us all an, an eggplant parmesan. And right. I, th- I told you this. When that food arrived and it was this thing that we'd shared with my dad because my dad loved you and loved your restaurants and was a regular at your places for so long. And I told you this, but the emotion I felt when I put that eggplant parm on my plate and I ate it, I felt connected to something with my dad and with you and all those times as only food can, the smells and tastes of food. I was just brought back to like being 21 and sitting with him in Cocoa Pots. And I'm wondering for you how it feels to you to know you have, you know, a place in the hearts of these families, like that your regulars have had kids who became regulars who then have kids of their own who became regulars. That's um, true. Has it, does it, it hit you? Are you, it, does it that does. hit you? It, 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 it hits me and makes me realize, wow, I'm getting old, but uh, but, yeah, of but, course, but, but good, but, but good. No, I mean, listen, you know, that's what hospitality is all about. One thing. And, you know, you know, as when I met you, you were young, there was a point where I was the same way and I had all these dreams and aspirations. And just to hear what you said was like, well, I guess I, I guess I achieved it. <laughs> no reason to stop, but you know, cause you never, you know, you never, you know, the, the, the best way to become successful is never to open up the newspaper and read about yourself. I think. Yeah, man. Well, you I were to read about, well, right. To read about yourself or about the people doing what you do and then comparing yourself. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, I mean, when we were putting together the food for the shiver, we were, you know, I was thinking of all of the great you know, things that, you know, your dad actually started me doing. 
Because, you know, when I went to, you know, I worked in Europe. I worked in five-star hotels. Yeah, we're going to cover that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't come back to, to cook meatballs and spaghetti and eggplant parm. But he, what you, I just saw in his eye a yearning for this. It's such a yearning for it. I was like, oh, I got to do this, but I got to make it the best he's ever had because, you know, I mean, this is Mr. Cobbleman, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, and it's just, you know, it, it, it's amazing, you know. I mean, the, you know, you, you feel sometimes so helpless because, you know, you haven't seen people in a long time and then you get the news that, you know, someone has yes. passed away. And you feel helpless. And, and you know, it works. It, it, there's a catharsis in putting together the food yeah. as much as there is in eating the food, especially yeah, for, for this. But that's what we feel from you, man. That's like you just, uh, I guess part of what your special gift is, is that you allow yourself to keep feeling the things and it shows up in your food. And that's why, I mean, I want to talk about this, about how people follow you and all that that stuff from from place to place i just you know like the other night we came into marks off madison your your current place which is fucking amazingly great and you serve your greatest hits um that you serve from everywhere from campagna coco paz fred's barney's really incredible uh dishes you know i was there with my nephew my sister my uh one of my kids came by and I do, I just wanted, for, for your perspective, when you're walking through and you recognize like the, the grown grandchildren of people beyond saying, oh, you must be old. I just wonder how it hits you from an emotional place, the fact that, that these people are still drawn back to come back to, you know, generation after generation to eat your food. It's a high. That's good. It really is. It, it really is. It, 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 it really is. It's an endorphin rush in a sense. You know, I mean, I mean, I've heard this so many times, you know, I used to, you know, I used to come as a baby to Fred's and my grandma with my grandma. I mean, I mean, and I, and, you know, it's like, what, I mean, what more can you ask for as a, you know, as a member of hospitality, as, as a, as a restaurateur, as a person, I mean, as a human being, forget about, you know, hospitality, but you know, that to have, you know, to be loved and to be endeared, you know? I mean, yes. you know, I, I always told my children, less, nice guys don't finish last, okay? Yes. That's, that's only in the movies. <laughs> no, said. and it's really true. Well, I was thinking about this the other night, as you know, and obviously everything for me is is more sort of like, I'm aware of a lot of stuff just in the shadow of, 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 of what happened and, and of my dad dying in it. And, you know, the other night I was shooting somewhere near your restaurant and I just texted you, and we hadn't had a long talk since to when you came to the house. And I was like, hey, I'm in the neighborhood. I just want to come to the bar. Could I just get a bowl of pasta? And you were like, yeah, come. And just the feeling. I, as I tell people, like, if you can become a regular, and I'm not, a, I haven't, I'm a, I'm a Straussman regular, meaning I've been a regular for 30 years, even if I haven't been right. into Mark's all the time, right? That feeling of, of knowing someone, and it doesn't have to be at a fancy restaurant. It doesn't have to be in an expensive restaurant. But if you can find a way to connect with the people at a place near you in a meaningful way, you know, going in and having a bowl, you made me a bowl of pasta, I sat with you, you went and did your job, but you came back and yeah. I was just, the warmth of that is very special. And, you know, and I could see it meant, I could feel it meant a lot to you and it meant a lot to me, yeah. you know. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it, it's true. It's, it's you know, I mean, I, I say that's one of the reasons why Starbucks is successful, because they give they gave in the beginning, at least, entrepreneurship to their baristas and their counter people. Uh, yes. Like, I, you know, there was one in my neighborhood and they would come, you know, you'd come in and they go, you know, you know, tall, black or whatever, you know, whatever you, you know, you drank or, you know, um, and it, it just and it just makes you feel it makes you feel great. It makes you feel like it's your mom in a sense, you know, like, you know, it, it, you feel the there's love in that in somebody remembering what you drink, knowing that they have, a, you know, a barrage yes. of customers. Right. I mean, you, you know, most customers know who where they stand in the pecking order. I mean, you're one at one in a thousand. Right. But to, just to be remembered, just, you know, I tell people it's that if you could just give people that, you know, that Andy Warhol 15 minutes, you know, that one on one for a second and be it means sincere, a lot. be real. It, it, it does. Yeah. Will Gadara, his book was thought so great. I don't know if you read Will's book, but his book about hospitality is so great. And he, t he talks about that for sure. All right. I'm going to come circle back to the question at the end. Or maybe okay. you'll give some advice to people for how they can actually, as a customer, become a regular or become recognized or become family to a restaurant because you're so good at it and you've had to manage so much of that for so long. But first, I want to understand this. How did it just give us your story a little bit? Like, how did a Jewish kid from Queens end up one of the most celebrated Italian food you know, chefs in the country? And I mean, even winning worldwide awards for your... Pizza, you know, uh, Romana, I mean, Romana. So can you just tell like your food awakening story and how how this whole trip got you to a place of cooking, you know, this food? Like what was your your journey to becoming a, a cook and then a chef, you know? Sure. Well, you know, I always say the one problem I had between myself and my children is they hadn't invented spell checker yet. Ah, so I was a kid. Well, yeah. I was dyslexic. Yes. Severely dyslexic. So school was not one of my favorite places. I always say the, the, the most favorite, you know, period I had was lunch. Uh, but, you know, because I didn't have to go to school. I, you know, I didn't have yeah. to spell. And so, you know. I relate. Yeah. You know, it, I, so, you know, I'm, I, I, decide, I figure out how to get into Queens College. Because you could either get in on the very high end or they had a program that was at the lower end, like 65 or above. And I, I actually was a bit smarter than that. I had about a 72 or a 73 average. So I had to shave it down over the last two and a half years of high school to get it consciously? under 70. Consciously. I didn't want to go to Brooklyn College. I lived literally across the street from Queens College. Right. I mean, literally. Uh, after the first semester, I decided never to take eight o'clock classes and nine o'clock classes. You know, I, you know, when the, my kids went to Churchill, where they taught them compensation for this kind of, you know, issue, I was doing this unbeknownst to myself from the beginning. Like, don't take a class before 10 o'clock. You're never going to go. You're, you're going to drop out because, you know, you, you were I was lucky enough to get in. Right. So, you know, I, of course I get in and I get motivated by a teacher who um, it was this very famous poet. Her name was Marie Ponset. She just passed away a couple of years ago. And, you know, she kind of blew my mind that, you know, that someone like this could teach. 
and I kind of got motivated. But, you know, after I left, you know, that first semester and, you know, the second semester, I did well. So I decided, let me go to another school. So I ended up going out to American University for six months. That didn't work out very well because my parents were not well to do. So, you know, it didn't seem like it was worth going heavily into debt. For that, so I went back to Queens College. And, you know, then the dyslexia set in. But in between, I got a job running the Ratskeller or the pub. But you were, co- I want to just, two, two things I want to ask you to, to, about yeah. this. One is, you're a very smart and successful person and deal with, you know, some of the smartest people. I mean, I, I was, I've seen you bounce, literally bounce between Bruce Springsteen's table and Bill Clinton's table. So you're able to talk to everybody <laughs> in the smart, you know, everybody in the world. Mark, when you were, because I know with the ADHD thing, and I've watched my daughter struggle with dyslexia in a very profound way. She's amazing now. People on this podcast hear her all the time. But like when you were 14 years old and you were getting terrible grades and teachers were looking at you like you were an idiot, were you able to tell yourself, I'm smarter than this? Did it hurt you? Like, how did it affect you? Because I think for people listening, the fact that you're now who you are is... It's great to know, like, what, what was your self-talk in a way? Like, what'd you say to yourself? Well, you know, I, I was very lucky. I had, you know, I guess I was good at sports. That's even helpful. I was small. That's very you helpful. Know, we played, yes, we played a too. lot of sports. We played a lot of sports, a lot of team sports. With, you know, and, um, you know, I just, you know, I didn't know. You, know, you didn't know what was going on. My dad passed away when I was 14. Right. Oh. The right. He, he died two days before I started high school. So that kind of gave it, you know, at that point, you know, my whole life had changed and I got all of this responsibility. And I oh, kind yeah. of um, I, I kind of it, it saved my life. So, you know, after six months, I made a deal with my mother. I'll cook you clean. I can't eat your food anymore. Wait, so you're 14 or 15 years old and you're like, 15, you know what? Yeah. You're 15 and you go, I'm going to start cooking because I yeah, need... Yeah, you can't eat this stuff. I mean, it's like... No, okay, so did you did you know you had like a palate? Oh, obviously, you wouldn't have thought, oh, I have a palate living there in Queens, but something in it like you loved food differently or you recognized it in some way. Well, what the food was was not a little red pencil with a circle and a correction. Right. I was like, it didn't talk... And, I, you know, Julia Child was on at the time. Right. So I would watch that a little bit. And then I would, you know, that was when you went to the supermarket and there was a produce man in the yeah. supermarket. I was going to ask you about this. What'd you, you know, so did you do that? Did you go like... I did the shopping too. So your, your father passes away. It's you and your mom. And, and you're like, I'm going to go figure this out. And I'm going to go, I, yeah. I'm going to learn the difference between a good tomato and a bad tomato basically. Yeah, well, yeah, boy, I was taught that by this, you know, luckily there was this Italian guy who ran the produce department and, you know, he kind of was like, here, come look at this kid. You know, he's like, you know, <laughs> he was like that one on, on um, NBC on Sunday morning, Produce Pete. Exact, same exact character, right? Come here, kid, you know, smell this, you know, you oh, smell that's this. that's awesome. You know, and, and I kind of got that. And then, you know, somehow I managed to graduate high school and stuff. And so, you know, I come back the second time to Queens College and I become, I decide I'm working in the Ratskeller. I run it. So I all of a sudden changed the whole menu because burgers became hot. 
So wait, you, uh, I'm going to go to the Rathskeller, but I want to, when you're putting, so from 15 throughout all of high school, are you basically putting dinner on the table for you and your mother most until, every until night? College. And, and until, until college. And my brother, until college, yeah. And are you, um, you're watching Julia Child, are you reading cookbooks or are you just going off what you're like, like, hey, um, I think I want to try to cook a steak, so I'm going to try to cook, like, how did that? How the did New York that... Times had the food section then. Or it had oh, yeah, on, sure. on, on Sunday, it had Pierre Franier and stuff like that. Uh, not so much cookbooks uh, that I remember because they weren't in the house and, and the cookbook industry was, you know, minuscule then. Right. Sure. And also I guess reading, you know, with the dyslexia, like it wasn't like, yeah. that's not where you were going to default to. So right. you're putting food on the table every night. I mean, what a good training. And, and would you think about it? Like, I guess, I, you know, I found myself so obsessed with different things. So, and part of that being bad ADHD and bad at school was I would find different pockets and then I would... I would obsess, um, focus on these things right. that I was interested in. So like with the cooking, Mark, would you cook a meal? Would you then think to yourself, okay, that was good. It could be better in this way, or I got to try that again. Like how much of it was um, just at, like, just, hey, I got to get dinner on the table. But how much of it was also like, hey, I want to get better at this. It was all trial and error. You always wanted to get better because it was sport. I was oh. a competitive person. You yeah. always wanted to get better. You know, you always wanted, you know, you, you understood it when, especially when you met this guy in the supermarket, you know, the produce guy. And then, you know, listen, I, what I remember is Julia Child never had a recipe. I never right. realized that she had cue cards. I was a kid, you know? Right. I figured she just did it off the cuff, you know? So you learned to kind of do it off the cuff. And did you, were there restaurants in your neighborhood that you ever went to where you were like, okay, that's good or that's not? Like, when did you become aware of rest, of, of, restaurants as a, th a thing was that once you were in the rathskeller yeah more when i kind of got out you know my parents were kind of middle class you know we go you know i was the only kid who didn't eat hate chinese food on sunday right you, you i wanted didn't. to go to, i wanted to go to the pizzeria next door because if you went in the back you could only go in the back with your parents because he had a pizzeria he had a fancier restaurant in the back and you could have, you know, the entrees and stuff. And, you know, I found, you know, I lived across the hall from a woman who, I don't know, they, she had one other daughter and this woman cooked 24-7. I mean, she was, it was always that, cooking. Always cooking. I mean, you walk off the elevator and you just get, I mean, you just like, you go up and then all of a sudden you fall down. You were like, oh my God. What was she cooking? smell of tomato sauce, eggplant. She would only give it to my father to taste but eventually he would let me have a taste of it you know and you loved it so that's how you oh, got the I mean, thing of that kind yeah. of food well that's how i understood the difference between restaurant and home cooking and i realized there was only one difference love oh that's awesome and that's the only ingredient i mean this woman cooked with so much love I mean, she shopped in the same supermarket. I mean, she was not in the best of shape and health, and there was no fresh direct then. So right. you know, no, you never even you couldn't even get deliver groceries delivered then. You know, so you know. But you she realized. really cared. She really wanted to yeah. put something oh. great out, and you you clocked that kind of. Yeah, I mean, so, she got all her recipes from her mother and her grandmother. It was that kind of you know Italian dynasty cooking. Same in Jewish cooking. If you right. can find a, a Jewish woman, you know, who, who gravitated to that, it's kind well, of ended a little bit. Well, but that's why you, you know, you found your way back to bagels at a certain point yeah. and you're just the best Italian chef and you're also making bagels. So 
it's connected in in some way, obviously to you at some like root level. These these are, and I know why, because they're all chi- all your childhood, the woman down the right. hall, and then what you grew up with. So it's all the same childhood, right? Yeah, but the Italian food really came from wanting my cu- asking from my customers. I'll never forget what really moved me one time when I was in Coco Pozzo. Uh, uh, another customer that uh, Ted Ashley, yeah, from Ashley Famous, right or Warner Brothers, right? He ran Warner Communications. It's the, it's the first night of Hanukkah. And, you know, I, when I came home from Europe and my mother thought, asked me to cook Passover, I was, like, insulted. I didn't go to Europe to cook that, you know, garb. You know, I wasn't into that stuff. Yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, but in Germany, they made things called Kartoffelpuffers. And I'm saying to myself, that's a latke, man. Uh-huh. That's how you make those things. Okay. So I kind of like would make those because, you know, I saw them in, in Germany. And, yes. Uh, and which makes sense because that's probably where they come from, right? Eastern Europe, you know, before everything. Yes. Was, you know. So he's like, you know, it's the first night of Hanukkah. I, I just, you know, I just, I don't know what I want, but I would love a potato. Like I said, Mr. Ashley, I'll be back in 10 minutes. That's awesome. I go run down, get some potatoes, grate them the same way, put out, take out the water, get the oil going, bring them out. The man started to cry. I'm not right. kidding you. I'm right. not kidding you. Yeah, I'm like this is what? What's the matter? <laughs> I'm like, I, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm this young, you know, this kid from. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in a city housing project in Queens, and standing in the middle of the dining room at Coco Pozzo on 74th and Madison in 1990. It was, you know, where you know you had Bill, you know, the Coke brothers eating dinner and this and that, and you like, and he's like, he goes, this is reminds me of my mother, and then it really hit me. Oh yeah, of course, Mark. Yeah. It was like, boom, like it was like in a, it was like the A train epiphany. But, but also I got to set the stage like where that was the hot, I mean, that restaurant, you couldn't get into that. I mean, that restaurant in 1990 was for the Upper East Side was the best restaurant on the Upper East Side. And there were people who won't leave the Upper East Side. So that, <laughs> though, you know, that was a like for you to stop what was your pro, most people won't do that. Like stop the program of what you were doing to like recognize somebody in the room and give him something that would blow his mind, speaks a lot to that love that the woman down your hall had, right? Which was, yeah. you felt this, obviously you must have felt this guy had a need. It wasn't like, I would like this, you felt something coming off him, right? Well, it, it's the same as your, you know, your dad. I mean, I knew who these people were. Yeah, sure. And I knew where I was. And normally I would be behind the the the, you know, the, the red velvet line waiting to, you know, you know what I'm saying? And I was allowed across the red velvet line. Well, you earned your way, but they were kids like, you know, my dad was a poor kid from Laurelton, Queens, who was no, no, had a very similar why, childhood think, to you. Which I think why he, he, he fell in love with me in the beginning was, you know, here, you know, he sees, you know, because, you know, anyone who's in a creative field like Ted Ashley, your dad, they all, I mean, chefs that are, are, are understood, you know, as another, as a, as an art form, as creativity. No doubt about it. No, of um, no, no doubt about it. And, and they recognize, they saw that in particular in you. I mean, by the way, that story, you know, obviously is the same as you sending the eggplant to me or me and you sitting at your right. bar having a bowl of pasta together and, right. and without 
talking about death, just knowing we're together in this situation. And it's the same thing, right? It's giving this kind of gift of continuity and, and life and love yeah. uh, to people through food. That's very I mean, it's, it's also, it's, it's giving people a sense of stability. Yep. Like they it can is. let their guard down. They can, re- you know, they're out in public and they can feel secure. It's a, a sense of security for people. So you're back at Queens College and, and you're put in charge of the the, the pub I, I or whatever, right? I worked my right? way up to get it because it was some it was one of the only things I was good at and I loved it. I loved it and I helped run the whole food service there until one day the assistant head of the college says, you know, sends me a note and says we need to come see you. You need to come see me. <laughs> so I sit in the bursar's office or one. So I'm sitting there and everything, and I'm like, and you know, they go, Mark, we love you. We really love you, Mark. You're phenomenal. You're the best. You take care of us like we're a million dollars. But Mark, you can't stay in school if you don't go to class. Ha. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Right. Because all you we were doing see- was a restaurant. And hanging out on the front lawn, smoking weed. Sure. Because that was, you know, they had this big front lawn, you know. I was Mr. Social, right? So we ended up finding out that New York City Technical College or New York City Community College at the time had one of the few hotel and restaurant departments. So they helped me get into that. Now I'm matriculated, then I matriculated. And then it took another six years because of dyslexia to try and finally figure out how to graduate. Yeah, but you kept going. I mean, you kept go- by that time they must have known it was dyslexia, right? By the time you're in Oh no, they had no they couldn't care less. Yo, know, you still didn't know until much later. Jesus. Well, Christ. I knew so- because of Nelson Rockefeller. Because he talked he about it. it. He right. had it. I remember my mother running into my room. This is what you got. Oh, you know, yeah. like it was an article in I don't know, a Time magazine or something about Nelson Rockefeller. Because he had a he had to memorize his speeches. He couldn't read them. So, yes, I mean, Anna, you know, found it by watching a television show called Arthur. She told us, but it was much more, she was so young and and was able to then get into these programs that really, you know, changed her life and made it. And now she's a great reader, but it was, she learned to decode. It's very hard. Well, so at this time, are you primarily cooking? What's your aspiration at that time? When you're in, what's your aspiration? What do you think you want to go cook? Like French food or, or what's your, in your head? Well, I wanted to go to Europe because, you know, after all of the time. So while I was going to hotel school, I was also working full time in uh, I started at Bloomingdale's in Latron Blue. And then I got a job at uh, the the then UN Plaza Hotel was the four seasons before four seasons ever started. Right. And what are you doing there? Are you doing like are you in the kitchen? kitchen. Yeah. Are you doing garmanje? Are you are you? I was mostly doing garmanje because I figured they always put the short guys in the (laughs) garmanje, but I couldn't understand that. (laughs) Well, because you got to get there early and sit in the in the little thing with all the vegetables, right? So, I mean, if you're doing that job, and, and it was also, you know, it was a union house, so I wanted to work during the day because I went to school at night. And so Gardemanger is chopping vegetables, getting the vegetables ready for the night. And and salads. Yeah. You know, the cold kitchen, making the dressings and all of that stuff. And 
And did you love it right away? I did. Being I, in a I kitchen? Mean, I, I figured this is what I wanted to do for a living. But I better, you know, but I had a girlfriend, a Jewish girlfriend at the time and said, you got to go to college, my parents. You know, we ended up uh, not getting, staying together anyway, but I owe her that, you know, getting a degree, even though it was a two-year degree, it was still a degree. Uh, and, you know, one day I find this notes on the board, on the um, job board back in school about a three-month apprenticeship in Germany. I couldn't go to France because I didn't speak French. Right. And as I told, as I tell people, I can't, I don't, if I hardly speak English, how am I supposed yeah, to speak French? How are you going to figure out you, French? Yeah. yeah. Right. So, and I did. And I went to Europe for three months. And what had happened was at the UN Plaza, we had a, a chef from Switzerland who came in about halfway through. And he said, when you're ready, contact me and I'll help you get a job in Switzerland. So after the first year in Germany, unfortunately, they found out that I could cook breakfast. Ah, uh, yeah. Because we had all the foreigners. And I said to the chef, look, I love being here, but I didn't come to Germany to flip eggs at six in the morning. Okay. So I get a job in Switzerland. And then once you had two jobs, you had a curriculum vita, as they call it over there. And I was able to get two other ones. And the last one I spent was in the Amstel Hotel in Amsterdam. Wow. Where, you know, I was never, you know, every night to the coffee shop. It was, you know, I was like, I was living a dream. But I realized that I was getting too comfortable and that I needed to, to go back home. Wait, what were you, I'm so interested in this though, man. What were you cooking? Like, so you go over there and Five, you're a kid from Queens. You yeah. hadn't traveled the world, right? So nope. you get to Germany and you're now in a kitchen there. What are you learning to cook? Are you going out and experimenting by going to, obviously you don't have a lot of money, but I know young chefs training, they spend all their money going to restaurants right. usually. So were you going to restaurants and getting your mind blown? Were you realizing, oh, this sucks, this is great? Like, what I mean, was happening? Working, working at Bloomingdale's, I worked at Latron Blue. Yeah. And Michelle Girard and Gaston Lenote came through the doors to do events and do, you know, like three month gigs there. They, you know, they did, they had all, they also had them open little shops. So I got really exposed to it. And the and hotel school had three pastry classes and three cooking classes, and they were all European. I mean, we all used Escoffier. So by that point, right. I was kind of, you know, it was like if you were a singer, you had already gone through the chorus in church. The same way were, a lot of singers were, were you were you consciously um like i guess when did you become aware of the need to like really develop your palate like to really understand what different kinds of foods were and what you related to and how to separate good from great like what was that i'm always interested in this like you know chang went to japan and that was like when his mind like what what was your process of really figuring the the palate thing out well you know? i mean I, at that time in New York, there were the greatest French chefs around. Sure. I mean, we had two European chefs at the UN Plaza. We had all these European chefs at Bloomingdale's who, you know, and, you know, I bring in that competitive sports thing again. You just wanted to learn it. Yeah, sure. You know, it's yes. like, it's like, you know, how, how do these golfers, young golfers, they, all they did was watch videos of Tiger Woods repeat it, repeat it, repeat it until they actually mimicked his swing. Yeah, like right? Adam Ski, look at Adam Scott at Rory. Yeah, of course. The right. way they... it's this, Right. It's the same thing. It's just cooking. 
My dad, before he passed away, was spent the whole World War II in Bermuda. He was um, he was a sergeant first class for a general. So my father had a bit of a gourmandness to him. You know, you know, as my mother would say, champagne taste with a champagne pocket. Sure. Sure, with the champagne pocketbook, yeah. It was it was one of her favorite lines. I used to hate that as a kid. Um, sure, but yeah. you know, but it but it's true, you know. And you know, so you know, we would have on Sunday leg of lamb. We would have you know, you know, different, you know, not necessarily expensive, but not stuff that people would cook. But you think you either have a palate? You were starting to say when I you you think you you kind of either have a palate where you're it matters to you in that way or you or or, or you don't. It's not taught. You don't think that part I, of it's taught, really. I think it, it is taught. I think it's intellect. Either you have the intellectual capacity or you don't. Right. You, you have to have an intellect to be a chef. You have to have, you have to be smart. You, you have to look at it on the level that it is. You can't, you know, you know, it's like it's fun to make fun of it. Like, you know, it, making fun, there's two ways of making fun of it. There's making fun of it, and then there's condescending comedy. Yeah, you can't do it that way. You have to do it. You know, I, I don't know. I remember if you ever saw this, um, Conan O'Brien goes to Italy, any of those travel shows. The Italian one's a riot because, you know, he's just making fun of this one guy who's this, you know, drinking the wine, you know, smell raspberries. Sure, and sure, all yeah. That stuff. And, you know, so that's, that comedy is good because that's intelligence, too. But you have to have an intellect. I mean, it's, you know, you, you have to be well-traveled. I mean, going to Europe, I'll never forget when I called my mother, because this was like 1982. I mean, I didn't yeah. know how to use the telephone of course, in sure. Europe. I'm like yes. crying. I'm like, you know, sitting there, you know, with coins, oh. pushing in, you know, the one mark coins. And I'm like, Ma, this is a really serious place. They got a kitchen just for potatoes. Ha, amazing, right. And it was called the Kartoffelkuche. Little did I know that you went in there and it was like KP, right? Kitchen Patrol. Yeah, but sure. Peeling, yeah, peeling thousands machine, of potatoes. They had yeah. a machine that peeled the potatoes and you just finished them off. So was that woman's cooking on your hall? Is that like kind of like what were the other as you were going through Europe, were there a couple of like mind blowing meals or dishes that sent you off in one direction or another? Because you go over there and you learn how to do this German and French cooking, but you come back here and partner with an Italian, you know, partner with somebody and launch into the most one of the most distinguished Italian restaurant. So what meals did you have? When did you go to Italy in this whole thing? And what was that like? Well, when I lived in Europe, I went to Italy a lot, especially in Switzerland. It was so much cheaper than when you had four days off in Switzerland, you'd go broke. If you, you could actually go to Italy and still come home with some money in your pocket. And would you just go there and just eat everything for four days? Well, you you'd go and I would, you know, you would eat. Yeah, I mean, I, I was not as much as, you know, it was more about seeing Europe, right? Seeing the world, going to, I, I have hundreds and I have thousands of pictures of markets. I used to go to markets. What, what, what somebody once said uh, about awesome. me who worked with this Italian woman who said to Pino, he, he, you know, he's American, but he, he shops like an Italian. Huh. What does that mean? So what does that mean to you? And Pino goes, believe it or not, that's a compliment. 
<laughs> what do I you said, think no, that I means? Knew I knew it was. She, she said that I, I understood food. I un- that, you know, look, you if you don't have the best ingredient, well, this is not French food. You can't pop the sauce over the top and hide it. Right. I remember right. Giorgio De Luca saying that to someone. Don't treat it French. Treat it Italian. And I'm standing next to him. I, he had no idea who I was because I used to, on my, on my days off, I would go to Dean and De Luca and Balducci just to hang out. Just to like watch what was going on. You yeah, love markets. Before, before going to Europe, yes. Yeah, you I just mean, like the, being I mean, in a market and looking I at mean, it. I mean, this was the one on Prince Street, not the one yeah, on Yeah, I Broadway. remember the original. Yeah, I remember it okay, for sure. Was, yes. I mean, that was a store of stores. I mean, that was unbelievable. Little did I find out a lot of it was Joel Dean who actually put that together. But, but wait, I, well, so what would you do when you were ha- – you would just walk around and watch the way like the cheesemonger would do what he was doing yeah, and watch I mean, the way – You remember them. You, you didn't have to buy anything as long as you didn't misbehave. No one – you just and kept moving. Yeah. You go back in and you go, oh, you could have bit, then you could go have a coffee. I mean, of course, that no, point, that's I was, awesome. I was much more savvier. I'd buy a little of this, a little piece of that, bring it home. You know, that time I was in my early 20s. So, but, you know, I remember him saying that and understanding exactly what he meant. But, and when you were over there, did you think that, and you're going to thousands of markets, like you're saying, looking at stuff and tasting and smelling. Did you have it in your head, I'm going to have my own restaurant at that point? Or did you just want to get a job in, in New York where you were a chef at a restaurant? What were you thinking about? Well, I mean, I think that was the end game. The plan, you know, the, the dream was to have your own restaurant. But, you know, you learn that, you know, it's like everything. You know, it's like baseball. I mean, you got to go to the minor leagues. You can't go from high school to, you know, the pros. I mean, unless, you know, maybe there's a Mike Trout or somebody, you know. What doesn't exist, you know, you know, that's why I stayed out of that whole, you know, Flan McGarity thing of this 14 year old kid who they're all making into a chef and everything. I felt bad for the kid because I think the kid is probably really talented. He seems like a really sweet guy, you know, but, you know, it's like when you get, you know, it's like what they did in the, in the music business to these young artists. They make them into something and then. You know, it becomes a problem, you know, the Colleen McCoughlin theory or whatever it is. It's yeah. very, look, it's, it's yeah. very, it's very hard. And, and uh, no, I mean, you even look like to me, you know, um, I don't think, know if you've gone up there yet, but, you know, Chef Kwame opened Tatiana at Lincoln Center and it's incredible. I think it's yeah. really like as good as a meal as I've ever had in my life. But and he's considered a kid chef, but he's thirty two or thirty three. So yeah, but that's different. This it, one that's what is, I'm saying. It's, that's yeah, different. I'm saying Kwame's put in all these years, and he's still considered like a young, you know, a young star. But it's a long time. Thirty two, thirty three. That's like okay. Now it's now it's you can really put it out there and do the thing right. that you're that you're well, doing. Well, you know, it's funny. It's my son is an actor. He went to Cal Arts, and he's twenty six. And, you know, now I I kind of see there's a very big correlation between the two crafts, acting and being a chef, because at 26, you only have so much life experience. So, you know, you can't play a 40-year-old. Forget it. I mean, even if makeup could get you into that, you don't have the life experience in your body to do that. Even I I get it's Uh acting. But it's the same thing in food. Yeah. And writing too, right? I mean, well, no, but it's so smart what you just said, Mark. Because I think about what makes your, you know, I've thought a lot about what what makes what you what you do so good, and it. I think what comes maybe with the age, and and it applies to both. There's a simplicity in your presentations, and as you said, you can't just cover it with a sauce. 
I think in both of those things, acting, the music, there's this, um, out of an insecurity of not having enough life lived, perhaps, people push. They try to put more emotion than would really be there. Right. They try to put their, make their dishes busy dishes with right. a lot of razzle-dazzle, as opposed to just making the single best French fry anyone's ever eaten and right. going, here, these are potatoes perfectly cooked. I got the right potatoes. They're perfectly cooked. Here's some mayo and ketchup. Yeah, like there, you know, here's, uh, I found this when I was in Belgium or whatever. So this is a little sauce next to it. Boom. Or right. I once asked, I remember being in my 20s and asking you, you know, I think one of my favorite pasta dishes in the whole world, Rigatoni Butera. And I said, Mark, what the fuck, man? How is this? And you just looked at me and you said, it's tomatoes, sausage and cream it's like three-chord rock and roll that's it like you don't have to and then perfectly spiced perfectly seasoned i mean you know but this to have the kind of like courage and confidence to present simple ingredients perfectly prepared don't that takes life it does you know yeah it does you know it's interesting you just you know you're bringing back all these stories now so i remember what we would do is we would all save up money in europe and we would go to like a two-star or three-star Michelin restaurant because usually you know it was like being in college working in these hotels kind of a little like you know Downton Abbey but more not a you were you yes. know not where you, you weren't know, shit you, on every, that much yeah well no you were but everybody sat around we had our own table we ate our own you know there was the front of the house and the service and right. and these so because these were five it was a Hester Schauhoff it was five-star hotel across from the the trade fair I mean serious hotels right and um, so we go to this two-star Michelin restaurant. I've never been in a Michelin restaurant in my life, right? So I got, you know, everyone's like, oh, you're all, you know, we all dressed up in a suit and everything. And the food starts coming. And I'm like, what the fuck? I can do this. Uh, what the fuck? This is like really simple. And then you taste it and you get blown to pieces. And then you realize, you know, because, you know, once they heard, you know, they found out that I spoke English, because it was a two-star, three-star restaurant, somebody would come over and explain it to me in English. And half of the time of the first meal, they go, this was the chef's grandmother's recipe. And he made it, he took it and he made it this, and this was his aunt's, you know. And then I realized, holy cow, everyone else has got it wrong in America. They're trying to make it into what you would, you know, you know, you know, how many continents can you put on a plate? Yeah. Which is, I guess, fusion food. <laughs> Give but it the a name, time. Right? Yeah, no, back yeah. then. Yeah, back then. Right. right. So you're starting to actually, this is what I was really asking about, how you built the foundation. So you're right. making, this is what you said meant about this being smart. And this is why I think the palate comes in. So you're tasting this and you're going, okay, this is blowing my mind. Right. And he's telling me that it's, it's simple. So then you start thinking to yourself, but I look well, at it. I look at it. And I'm like, I could do this. I know what he did. Right. You see, I don't have to go. It, I, at a point, if I, I don't need to learn. Oh, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I learn by, I, you just go out and you see, okay, that's a good idea. I never thought of that. I know how to cook that. I know how to do that. You know, it, it, it is in a sense a classic. It's like learning classical music, right? It's going to yeah. any kind of, you know, um, Cooking should be part of a conservatory program. Yeah, that makes sense to me for sure. Yes. And so once you go through the conservatory program, you know, you can, you know, you learn to, you know, you know, I mean, another thing that 
blew my mind. And it has nothing to do with food. In Queens College, I was on the concert committee. And we had Billy Joel, like right yes. when Piano Man is coming out, right? So he does a sound check. And I figured, this guy's a rock and roll. He's a rock star. He starts playing Beethoven and Chopin. I'm like, blown. I never realized. Right, steeped. Well, back then, especially people didn't know. People know it about him. But right, he was steeped right. in that stuff, of course. I mean, and then you're like, of course, you idiot. What do you think? He just goes and he doesn't know how to read music. And, 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 you know, and then you find out the guys from Jethro Tull, they all went to like the London school and, you know, all of the, you know, they didn't graduate, but, you know, it's kind of the way Steve Jobs started, right? In a sense, too. He dropped out, but he went to a great, you know, that, that you need formal training. That's the thing. And I made sure the four years I spent in Europe, I gave myself my own formal training. Consciously, you did. Oh, absolutely. And then what happened when you came back to New York? Like, what year did you come back? And what year did you launch? 1987. Wow. So Coco Paz happened quickly after that. End of 86. Yeah, it did because nobody would hire me because they were all scared of me. What does that mean? Somebody once told me this. It was, I forget who it was, but it was a really nice guy. He said to me, I was looking for a job, and he goes, Mark, not for nothing, I hope you don't mind me say this, but why are you looking for this job? You could be the chef. Right. I wouldn't hire you. You're going to take my job. I never really thought about it that way. You know, when you were a short, fat Jewish kid who, you know, your teachers kept telling you you're stupid, you know, I mean, there are some scars left from that. You know, of Bill, Sa- Bill Clinton and the saxophone, right? Isn't that the most? No, the most there, of course there are scars yeah. left from that. I mean, 100%. Right. I talk about it right. all the time. Um, right. Because the ga- that, that gap between what you think, yourself, your sense that I'm not stupid, and then the um, external information being, well, maybe you are, is very difficult right. to sort of right. process, right? So from my perspective, I graduated college in 1988. I, I, what year, when did you open Coco Paz? Uh, 90, we opened. Right. But I so, was I mean, able I'm to in, support Amari in 88 in the summer. Right. And then came back, and when you launched that restaurant in 90, it became, you know, right away. Yeah. It uh, just exploded. You know, that's definitely. It was definitely, Cirque and Coco Pazzo. Exploded. And you were the crazy chef. I mean, that's yeah. what that is, right? And I remember the yeah. first time I went, and you coming over to the table and, and just being destroyed by how good it was. So you come back, how do you get the first gig where you and, and Pino, who was a, f- a famous restaurateur, but he'd only had a couple restaurants then. How did you guys come hook up and how did you open the first place? Well, we hooked up through the famous butcher at the time, Mark Sarenson from DeBraga and Spitley. I had read an article in the Times that this guy was the matchmaker. So, you know, I was oh, working wow. at this, I, I found a job as a chef at this champagne and re- bar restaurant on 61st called Chez Jacqueline. And she was Swiss. So she goes, oh, you worked at the Montreal Palace, I'll hire you tomorrow. You're hired. I remember Chez Jacqueline. That's awesome that you right. were there. I yeah, didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, That's yeah, great. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, Madame Jacqueline. And Madame, you could learn from Madame, Madame so Jacqueline. Oh, you make them comfortable, you know. Oh, you bring the pillow, you know. Uh, and... Um, so I went to see him and he goes to me, he goes, you know, I, this may not work. He goes with his French accent, you know, this may not work, but you know, I have this Italian guy. He's fed up with Italians. He's had enough. They tell him how to cook. He goes, why don't you go meet him? And we met 
and we hit it off. And I worked for six months at Il Cantonori to learn the cuisine. That's the first place I ever had, because uh, like my own awakening for food was, you know, moving to New York after college. And that Il Cantonori was the right. first time I ever had squid ink pasta, you know, with the spicy, yeah. like, like that kind of thing that just blows your mind when you're 20 years old or 21. So you worked that you were there first at his restaurant there. Yeah. And then were you the head chef. Some- were you the head chef there? No, 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 no. I was just on cooking on the line. Which was fine because we wanted to go. I was going to be the head chef at Support Amari in East Hampton, which was going to be his second restaurant that he opened. He had Da Silvano that kind of blew up, and then he opened Il Cantonori, and then we went to Support Amari. And you know, I I never I never been to the Hamptons. We used to throw snowballs in Queens at the remember those Jitney bubble buses? So we used of course, to I never went to the Hamptons either. So <laughs> I was not a Hamptons person as a, ever like then. And then years. I yeah. didn't, re, I mean, the crowd was, I mean, Calvin Klein would eat every night. And all of a sudden I'd go sitting, you know, I mean, after cooking all these dinners, we had these benches outside and I'd go sit outside because you get to meet the people and Pino was never there. So he didn't say anything. And then eventually he couldn't say anything because all the customers knew me and he was in New York every night. He figured, you know, maybe this is better for his business. Wait, I've always wondered this. I've always wondered how you became a chef who became a front of house person at the same time. So this is the answer. I mean, you would go in your chef whites and you would like kind of after service just sit outside, and that's when you started developing your relationships with these business people. Well, I was in New a big York. guy back then, so you know this big white guy it was hard to miss. I was almost like a support Amari. I think I hit almost two hundred seventy-five pounds. Right the when whites. you were wearing this, the whites. So you'd start talking yeah. to these people, and They'd then they wanted to, to know you. I would only talk if they talked to me. Right. right. But that and started they, these I, relationships. They saw me, and everyone, you know, was like, you know, I, I I've always. You know, you're a man. I mean, listen, I like what I do. You know, sometimes not everyone likes it. You, you know what I mean? You can't, you know, you can't walk around thinking that you're the greatest, you know, oh, then you, then you become, you know, um, then it's not healthy. But, but and, did you know you were putting out great, did you, could you tell from the way these people were reacting to you that, okay, I'm putting yes. out food that's meaning that these people are digging the food I'm putting out? Yeah, because they all came over and said hello to me. It's awesome. I mean, it was Calvin Klein coming to say hello to me. Right. You and know? then how did you guys decide to open Coke? And, and so what happened that led to opening Cocoa Pots on the upper, you know, Well, what happened, I got married out in East Hampton and my ex-wife at the time was my best friend now. Um, she was miserable out there. And I kind of wanted it, you know, after, you know, I, so, you know, I mean, I was so naive. It was great. You know, you'd be driving around in a winter and all of a sudden you'd pass a church and there were, 15 cars. I'm like, I don't know what that is. I find out it's an AA meeting. How did I right. know that? Sure. Right. And I'm like, uh-oh, this is not a good place to hang out after a couple of seasons. You know, because, I mean, they were long. I mean, you know, people don't realize, you know, New York, you know, we have an outdoor cafe. It's not, it, this, this is not West Hollywood, man. The outdoor cafe at Fred's Beverly Hills was used over 300 days a year. In New York, you're lucky if you get 150, 160. Right, but out there, the season, it goes and goes, it goes crazy. 90 days, right. 90 right. days. And then you get a couple of blips, Thanksgiving, you know, sure. the weekend. So, you know, after a while, I, you know, I wanted more. So Pino decides, let's open a restaurant. And, you know, at that point, he was partners with the Pressmans. He had opened La Madre. 
and they wanted to open something else. I, I think Gene had it in his mind that, you know, he wanted me, and that we opened Coco Pazzo. Right. La Madre was in Barney's, which then is where Mark eventually no, ran. No, La Madre was next to... Or next to... It was... You know, the downtown, it was next to downtown Barnes, downtown. right? But what, yeah. what was interesting was, and Fred Pressman owned that building, that was the, where they kept all of the floats and balloons for the Macy's Day Parade. Amazing, day. yeah. Yeah. So you opened Coco Pods, and how quickly did it become a hit? Inside of eight weeks, we got three stars by the New York from the New York Times, that and it singled you American. out in the it singled yeah. you out in the Times, right? I think it was the first Italian restaurant ever to get it, and if not, certainly the first Italian restaurant with an American as the chef getting it. And it was a three star restaurant, which at the time, you know, I I, I th- thought about this too. And I think this has a lot to do with you. I was Pino had this gift for sure, like as a restaurateur. Oh, no, I mean, Pino, um, yeah. to create these five. But what was amazing about Coco Pots was right buried right in the name, and also you bouncing around the dining room. Was even though it was three star and it was expensive, it was not stuffy at all. It was remember fun. The, the, the remember the three star Michelin restaurants that I went to. If they're not stuffy. I mean, these were serious restaurants. I mean, these guys were world-renowned reputations. I mean, we went to the Schweitzer Steuben in in the Black Forest. I mean, this guy was world-renowned. And it wasn't stuffy. No. Right. I mean, it was formal. Yes. People would dress formally. I mean, you know, you were frightened to hold the, the size of the wine glass, but yeah. But like at Coco Pazzo, I remember, yes, people would dress up. People would dress like, but it was a fun, non-stuffy vibe and atmosphere. Well, that's America. Yeah, but that's a lot the difference of between but a lot of three and, and four star restaurants in New York back then were very stuffy. Like they were. they, they but were the wasn't. Oh, that's interesting. To me, it was as a kid, but as a twenty year old, right, as a, a twenty three year old, it seemed fucking very awful. But every it, but everybody knew each other and stuff. Oh, like sure. that, you know. Sure, that's true. Did when when it took off like that, though, Mark, and suddenly after a lifetime of seeing yourself as an underdog fighting to get to a certain place, with like the just all the things, and now you're a fucking superstar in the city. How did you manage it? Was it like was it heavy for you to take take it on? Did you did were you able to keep a, like keep a sense of yourself? What was that like? You know, it, it, it's unfortunate it became the same melodrama that makes great, you know, TV. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, you know, there became some jealousy involved in the partnership and stuff. But, uh, you know, it, it, it was, you know, it's like everything, you know. You, you just, you get a little bit of a bravado, but you also realize that, you know, now that when you get three stars, you got to now, that's day one. Yeah. Because now you got to spend the rest of your life proving to everyone it's three stars. And what I didn't realize, and I realized quite so- quickly, is there were a lot of people coming in there to disprove Marion Burroughs' assessment. Yeah, or to challenge it or to see what was really yeah. what. Yeah, I'm That's sure there's no way you could have known then. Right, that must be tough on a 30-year-old. Of course, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, you're you in kept, that spot. You keep, keep, keep gaining weight. That's it. Keep 
you know. You just kept eating. Yep. Yep. And yeah. focusing all your, oh yeah, I forgot how big, I'm now I'm, I can actually just close my eyes and I yeah. remember yeah. that, that whole thing. Yeah. But, but the restaurant stayed that good. Like you would always go in there and it was that good. I guess what I was just thinking about was how many of those people that I would see at Coco Paz. And I don't know another, there are a few people like this, but because you're such a presence in your restaurants, I can really think of people who I saw in your restaurant in 1990, who I then saw at Campania, who I then saw at Fred, and who I now see at Marks Off Madison. And they've followed you, and you've been good to them for all this time. How do you train your staff to have the same thing you do about this family uh, like um, approach, meaning understanding that, that, like I say, these people, that there are groups of people who have been with you for 30, 40 years, you know, 30 years. Well, you know, technology has helped out a lot with the resi system and, and stuff. You could put all that in. But I think that there are people who get it. You know, that it's not just the customers who see the sincerity, who see the love of what I do, but also the staff does and they respect it. And if they don't, they, you know, you know, I have, you know, I'll never forget. We had a a little problem at Fred's and we had this new HR person and he was, he spoke Spanish. He was the first HR person to speak Spanish at Barney's and stuff. I said, you know, I think we should have a meeting. And he goes, well, you know, he goes, Mark, no, I, you know, I love it, but I'm not, you know, we, I have a lot of other stuff to do. Why do you think we have a meeting? I said, well, they're all calling each other Blanco. And he goes, oh, I'll be up next Tuesday. <laughs> I'm like, good. So we call this meeting. So then Hector starts asking everyone how long they worked there. And one goes, oh, I worked 15 years. This is mostly the kitchen, but the floor staff too, because you know them. Roy and team, you know, oh, 10 years, 15 years, 12. And, and he turned around and he goes, what's the problem? He goes, I'll settle this really fast. And then he told him in Spanish that either you talk respectfully or you lose your job, finished. Like, you know, and he goes, meeting's over. There's no reason. Right. He goes, I, I got people quitting left, right, and center down in, you know, the cosmetics, you know. You got people who, you know, who are like, we're going to buy watches for in 20, when they become 20 years, you know. And that, that's it. You're only as good as your, your weakest link. I think that when you have this disability, in a sense. Dyslexia, yeah, no, right? it is. Yeah. You just never take it for granted. And you always compensate. And, you know, you, people, you know, it's like, I don't understand. I mean, I used to, so when I was at Jacqueline's, La La Vendu was next door. It was Jean Jacques Rochot, right? He was. Uh, I don't remember Lacote that Bosque. place, but yes, he was yeah. Lacote Bosque. I know Lacote this Bosque, his, of course. So yes. La La Vendue was where he was from. That was where he would serve Cassoulet, right? Yeah. So you know, at four thirty is family meal time. So we'd go outside and eat, and they'd go outside, just sit outside the restaurant, and they would have pasta and spaghetti that looked disgusting. I mean, spaghetti and baguette. Oh, day old baguette. And that's what this guy would feed him every day. And I realized, if I ever, when I become a chef, no one will ever, that, that's not the way to do it. Right. I'm going to do can't. family meal a different way. And so that's part of I it. I mean, like- yeah. You, you know, like, I, we have, you know, I won at Fred's, you know, 
a lot of my Latin staff, they eat, they love chicken. They eat chicken. I always say that's why we get along so well, because Jews love chicken, Latins love chicken, right? And we like chicken all the time. Well, I have all these young waiters. It's like 11 o'clock, and I'm like, make them eggs. Make eggs. Make a right. salad. That's it, okay? Stop. She's a vegetarian. Make sure there's a salad, okay? You can't, I mean, it's not right. I mean, you. you it's like I, I spent my whole life being made fun of. Being short, yes. being fat, being dyslexic. I, you know, just because this woman doesn't want to eat meat or this guy doesn't want to eat meat, just make it for him. What's the difference? They're human beings. Well, that's, I guess there, you just said a lot, dude, which is like looking at people as human beings and doing that in a restaurant that's busy and slammed and that people want to get into does make a big difference. So last thing I want to ask you, just because uh, you, you, as I keep talking about this family atmosphere you create at your places, is if I'm somebody listening to this and I'm like, there's a restaurant, I really love it, I feel invisible, I don't know how to like make, make myself someone who, who knows them, how do I express my appreciation? Like I often say to people like, chefs, if they see on your face that you genuinely love what they do, you become like brothers. It's very easy to connect if you really love it. Um, but it's hard to get a chef's attention or any of that. Like, how do people become now? Like, you've been doing this a long time. How does someone become new family? How do people become regulars at places or able to sort of, you know, get that feeling of, oh, look at that. Someone just gave me a free dish of French fries because they they see that I'm here. Or like, how do you... How does that happen? How does it happen that suddenly you realize, oh, those people, I, I want to say hi, or I want to know them, or, oh, I like, like, what, what, what's that process like now? I, I mean, I think it hasn't changed. I, I really don't. I think, you know, you have to come there. And, and also, the restaurant has to be willing to. Some of these places, these younger, you know, these hipster places, they're, you know, they're, they're spending too much time reading their own press, some of them. A little bit and that makes it very difficult because if you put up a, a wall even if it's veneer people are not going to pierce it yeah it's you hard. gotta make you know if someone asks can i see the chef you and go out and if you don't and if they don't come out then find another place because you know sometimes it's not possible but you know you, you come every time you know you come go there you know you if you eat out five days a week go there once a week Go there twice right. a month, you know, learn people's name, be respectful to them. So many customers treat staff like garbage, treat them nice, get them. A, I mean, you know, I mean, I remember the first Christmas at Coco Pozzo. It was like, Jesus, wow. You know, right. I mean, yeah, and, no, you know, those things were, I remember that, time, my... that story I told you about your father and Bob Krasnow arguing, oh, who's going to pay for what when I went to the south of France that time. Yeah, setting you up in a kitchen at a restaurant there. But that's like, you know, yeah. that's they knew you a long time before that happened. Right, but and still, I mean, you give you, you go there all the time. So that's how you know. That's how you, you know. know. And do bring, you do, well, bring them a gift. Give them, you know, put an envelope with a thank you and a, you know, whatever you can afford in there. It'll go a long way because 95% of the people don't do it. And, and do you think, like, if someone comes to your restaurant five times over a couple of months, does your staff... Notice that and say to you, hey, come say hi to this person. They, they've been in a bunch. Yes, or they do. They do, right? They're, yeah. They do. Or, That's you know, great. they remind me that, you know, these people were big customers at Fred's. You know, Roy's always dragging me out. They were big customers, you know, because I wasn't, you know, I, 
at times at Fred's, I was in the kitchen because it would have been impossible to get the food out yes. and, and still have that, you know, um, image. So, yes, all the time. You know, you, listen, I mean, you're, where are you without your audience? I remember somebody once telling me that the customer signs your paycheck, whether you like it or not. Yeah, but most, yeah, so a lot of people don't sort of um, own that. Well, Mark, thanks for coming and talking to me, man. Um, oh, this is great. Mark's man. Off Madison is just, uh, I'll tell you, you're serving your greatest hits of your career, and it is not an insanely it's expensive restaurant but it's not insane for new york like if you're listening to this it's it's a go in there for lunch go get a bowl of pasta you don't have to get 17 courses uh but it's worth experiencing mark's cooking because here's the thing mark straussman's in his kitchen still mark straussman's still looking at that food and making sure that it's i can't promise you he's gonna bring you your pasta and sit with you at the bar but because you haven't known him for 30 years like i have but He's going to make sure that that bowl of pasta kicks ass and uh, it's really worth worth going and and having this. And Mark, man, I'm again, I was I was so touched by, you know, the fact that you uh, not only showed up for us, which I knew, you know, from from my pop and but that, you know, you sent with so much love what, what you sent. And thanks, brother. Oh, my pleasure, man. All right, my man. I'll see you soon. Thanks, everybody. You can find me. Uh, you can email me the moment, bk at gmail.com. Go see Straussman at uh, Marks Off Madison. Go pick up one of his cookbooks, and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>